Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, I can remember years ago when it was so common in this time of year for the mall parking lots to be flooded. You remember those times? Even traffic reports of how much space there was left in each of the mall parking lots. Well, those days seem to have passed us by in recent years, and especially in this pandemic year. Uh, gift preparation seems to have shifted almost completely to having things delivered to our front doors. And those gifts that come, we are ready to give to others as an expression of love in the Christmas season. And I remember those years in which we would gather our large family at Cindy's parents' house, or Nani and Papa's, as it was known back then. And uh, we would, uh, we had a tradition, I'm sure your family did too. Ours was that we would start from the youngest and then each one in sequence all the way to the oldest. And we'd always smile because Cindy's grandmother would be asleep by the time it was her turn uh, to open her presents. But those were great days and each one would hold up their present and everybody would ooh and ah and take pictures. But you know, none of us have any of those presents from those days anymore. And yet the greatest gift of all is the gift of God's Son to us, the gift of grace. And I love Paul's expression in 2 Corinthians nine fifteen, from the New Living rendered this way, Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. But I must confess I'm a little bit uh, sentimental about what I grew up hearing from that verse from the King James. You remember it, don't you? Where it said, thanks be to God for this what? Indescribable gift. This indescribable gift. You know, it's interesting that that verse is not in a quote-unquote Christmas section of Scripture. In fact, it's in a section of Scripture that is encouraging those early Christ followers to be generous. And our generosity, our willingness to give gifts comes in light of our understanding of the gift that was given to us. That gift too wonderful to be fully and completely expressed in human language. And my hope and prayer is that this Christmas season, this sermon series, Delivered, will help us to focus more fully in making Christ the center of our Christmas season. That greatest gift that was just that, a gift, because it's all about grace. And our big idea for this morning is this. Of all the gifts that we could receive this Christmas, there is no other gift you need as much as grace. As much as grace. You're aware, I'm sure, that there are four gospel accounts in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke that scholars refer to as the synoptic Gospels. But then there's a fourth account. 
The first three were all written about the same time by those early authors, somewhere around A.D. 65 to 80. But that fourth gospel account, the gospel of John, was written later, at least A.D. 90. And as you think about that, that was a full 50 years after John had walked on the earth with Jesus, God in human flesh. A full half century since he had heard with his own ears the voice of God through Jesus, God's incarnate Son. And so this 50-year-later account that John finally puts to pen is written in language in the original of the New Testament, the Koine Greek, in a very simple linguistic form and yet so deeply profound in theology. And yet God's account through the Apostle John doesn't record the details of the nativity narrative. There's no visit of the angel to Mary or Joseph in John's account. There's no journey to Bethlehem, no arrival at the end to be told that there's no room, you must have a stable. There's no manger, there's no shepherds, there's no wise men in John's account. But John instead begins his account long before the divine immaculate conception within the womb of the virgin. And he does so to inform the readers that that was not when the life of Jesus began. John begins his account in verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. I think it's interesting that in the original, in the, the Koine Greek, there is no definite article. There is no the in the beginning. That word is not there. It's added by translators and editors. It literally is in beginning, in a time, an existence before time in an existence in which there was no past, there was no present, there was no future, just was. And in this existence before time, there was the Lagos, the Word, the living embodiment of God, the one who was with God in perfect unity and harmony, and yet distinct from God. The one with which there is a unity that there is no human parallel with which to connect it or compare it, and yet one who was also alongside God. From this perfect unity with the Father, he is empowered by the Father to be the agent of all creation, to be the giver of all life, to be the source of all light. This is something so profound and powerful that John reiterates it again in verse 2. He existed in beginning with God. 
So I want you for a moment to think with me about Christmas in an entirely different way. I want you to imagine with me that we push aside the trappings and the tinsel and the lights and the celebrations around the season of our existence. I want you to go back with me before the stable, before the prophets who hundreds of years before spoke prophetically of the coming of Christ. Go back before The planets and the solar systems and stars were spoken into existence. Go back with me to an existence before there was time. Are you with me? And there we find the Heavenly Father. And we find Jesus. He existed before there was time. For he created time and all that there was. See what John says in verse 3. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word, this logos, gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. What I'm trying to communicate is this. We must not think of the baby in the manger or even the Savior on the cross without connecting it to the one who was and is and ever shall be the everlasting God. Jesus. He is life. He is light, and yet he came to this sinful, dark world to rescue you and to redeem you because you were hopelessly and helplessly imprisoned in darkness. And John goes on to say in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. We needed light that could not be extinguished. And John says in verse 9, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Oh, think about it. The one who had only known the royal throne of heaven. The one who had only known the worship and praise of angels and the beauty and the glory and the majesty before there was time. He, John says, was coming into the world. Oh, his arrival should have been met with fanfare and trumpets and pageantry and celebration. And everyone from royalty to peasants should have bowed low before him. But that was not his reception. John says in verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. 
He came to his own people, the Jews, God's chosen people, and even they rejected him. And the most learned and studied among them, the Pharisees, the ones who had studied the Scriptures, which for centuries foretold of his coming, they didn't recognize him. They did not receive him. They, John says, rejected him. What a tragic, sad statement. But then in the next verse... In verse 12, a complete shift and the most glorious statement that we can imagine. Verse 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And with this belief, With this acceptance of him, verse 13, a transformation takes place. John says, they are reborn. Reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but with a birth that comes from God. Do you see, this is the heart of the Christmas story. More than the manger, more than the shepherds, more than the wise men, this is the heart of the Christmas story, the new birth, the rescue of a lost sinner like you and like me. It was for that reason that God became man. It was for that reason that Jesus came, why eternal God became helpless baby that would grow into a sinless man that would die upon a, a cross that would conquer sin and death and the grave as he became our risen Lord. And John, who had meditated on this miracle of miracles for more than half a century, speaks some of the most profound words in the New Testament in the next verse, verse 14. And you can hear the awe and wonder in his words. So the word, the logos, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The words translated here, unfailing love, It's the same Greek word that is translated in many other passages, grace. Grace. So common in the vocabulary of Christ followers, we sing about it as you've done today. We make plaques with it. We create art around it. We even name our daughters grace. 
And yet this word so common among the speech of those who follow Christ is so deep and profound that we can never plumb the depths of his meaning. What is grace? It is something completely undeserved. Something we in no way merit, nor could we ever. What is it about grace? It was what would cause God to send his son to sinful humanity when we were hopeless and helpless because of our sin. Grace is what shows us the kindness and mercy of our God. It is grace that makes known the warmth and tenderness of a God who in the Old Testament was known as a God of might, a God of power, a God of judgment, a God of holiness. It is grace that helps us understand that the God who under the old covenant required that innocent animals would be sacrificed upon the altar for the sins of the people. And the people of God would live in this highly restricted, regimented system of dietary laws and rules and rituals and restrictions and regulations and who could communicate with God only through priests, that grace opens the door to the new covenant in which we can, as his children, approach his throne with confidence as a son or daughter of the king. It is this grace that shows us the mercy and the forgiveness and the unfailing love of our God, though we are not worthy. It is given to us through grace by faith. There is something within each one of us that is attuned to justice. When we hear a news account today of elderly people that have been abused or stolen from, or we hear an account of someone who would abuse an innocent child, or, or we hear of someone who kills a law enforcement officer who's carrying out his or her duties to serve and protect. The, in, in instances like that, there's something within us, is there not, that calls out for justice, that someone should pay for such a deed. Oh, but listen, my friends, when we stand before a holy, righteous, just God, we don't want justice. We want and need grace. Grace. And it was grace that sent Jesus for us. Peter explains it so powerfully in 1 Peter 3.18, where the apostle says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners, 
to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. When Jesus left heaven and came to earth, when he became God incarnate on this planet he created, it was so that you and I would not have to receive the justice that we deserve when we stand before a holy, righteous God. He came so that we could have grace through faith in him. Paul describes and explains it in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Some hear this truth and they think, oh, that's, that's just for the really bad people, the kind of people you were describing who would abuse the elderly or hurt a child or kill a law enforcement officer. It's just for the really bad people. I'm not really so bad compared to fill in somebody else's name, some other sinner's name. And Paul would say to us, no, friend, you're using the wrong standard. Don't compare yourself to another sinner. Compare yourself to a holy, righteous, just God. And when you do, you find that you and I and all of the rest of us are sinful. When we stand before a holy God, we are all guilty. And Paul says in verse 3 of Ephesians 2, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now stop and think about that. By our very nature, We were, are subject to God's anger, God's righteous wrath, God's perfect, just judgment. What a horrible destiny to face the anger anger of a righteous, all-powerful God. But praise his name, he is also a loving God. And he did not leave us without hope. Some of the sweetest words in the New Testament, verses 4 and 5. But God, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God's grace. 
And when we are saved by grace, not only is there a new birth, there is a new destiny. Look at verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift, a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Many years ago, early in my ministry, I was responsible for the worship ministry and the youth ministry of the church. We had big S's on our chest back in those days to do. No, it was a huge job, but Cindy and I loved ministering in that way. And one of the things that you did back in those days uh, was to, to have youth choirs. Anybody remember the era of youth choirs? And uh, in the church we served in East Texas, we had uh, quite a large and dynamic youth choir. And one summer, I took about 70 of them all the way to Florida and back on a choir tour. And it was a pretty massive logistical undertaking. And one of the things that you had to do was provide hotel rooms in the different cities that you would stay along the way. And there was no online reservation system back in those days. You did it by telephone. And so I made all of those telephone calls to reserve all of those hotel rooms, 15 hotel rooms every night along the way. And somehow, at least according to the hotel chain we were using, they said that I made a mistake, that I reserved hotel rooms in two different cities on one night and no rooms the next night. And we got to one of our destinations, and as I went to the front desk, they said, no, you were supposed to be here last night. And there are no rooms that are paid for for your group tonight. Well, obviously I panicked. If you've got 70 young people and sponsors, you've got to sleep somewhere. And somehow they found 15 rooms to make available to us, but said, you will have to pay extra for those 15 rooms. And so we put it on the church credit card, and when I got home, I met with the pastor, and I could not prove the mistake was not mine. In fact, it probably was mine. I was just a young minister in my 20s, fully capable of doing that kind of thing, and it was a large sum of money. And back in those days, they didn't pay young associate pastors much. We barely could feed our young children. And so when he said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to pay that money back, I panicked. 
there were no funds in our budget to do that. We barely scraped by. I didn't know what we would do. And the next day, the pastor came to me and he said, there's someone in the church who heard about your problem, who heard about your debt, and they wrote a check to cover the full amount. And you know, I'll never forget that. It was a huge debt I had no means to pay. But now listen, here's the point of the story. That debt was nothing compared to the debt I owed a holy God. Our sin and selfish rebellion against him has put us indebted to a God who is holy and righteous and just in a way that we can never repay. And that's why it makes the lyrics of the old hymn so sweet. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's grace. That's grace. Do we deserve that? No. It's all about grace. God's amazing grace. And so I want to speak to just a moment to anyone who might be here this morning or watching online and you've never received the gift that you could never earn or deserve, the gift of God's grace. I want to tell you how to do that in two simple next steps. Here's the first. Believe. Believe that you are a sinner in need of God's grace. Believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty that you deserve for your sin. Believe. And the second is receive. Receive the gift of God's grace that you could never earn. Receive the gift of God's grace by turning away from your sin and trusting Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And here's what I want to say to anyone here or anyone watching online. If you would like to talk more about what that means, about how you can know you have received the gift of God's grace then just text the word BELIEVE to our Get Connected number 281-343-3033. Text BELIEVE. And one of our pastors will dialogue with you about what it means to receive the gift of grace. Because this Christmas season... There is no other gift you need as much as grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son and through him the gift of grace. We are undeserving, guilty sinners. Even the most virtuous and moral and upstanding among us are still guilty 
convicted sinners who deserve the righteous anger and justice and judgment of a holy God. And yet, through the gift of your Son, the gift of God's grace, we can be transformed by a new birth into sons and daughters of God, cleansed of all unrighteousness, freed from all the penalty and judgment through the gift of God's grace. We give you praise and glory and thanks today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, everyone.